David X, how are you? All right, all right. Um, surviving the storms didn't didn't it didn't reach Ohio, so I'm counting myself uh, blessed. So how how are you? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, we got we actually were very fortunate to get uh, several inches of rain down here mm. in uh, in Austin, Texas. Needed. I yeah, very needed. I think unrelated to the storms on the East Coast, but. Um, Anyway, glad to have the uh, uh, glad to have the water. We definitely needed that. Definitely yeah. needed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I uh, so the, I, I know we have a big topic for the show this week. Uh, but first, I wanted to uh, put in a uh, before we talk about the new the topic. I wanted to talk about uh, this update I got to my car. Mm, okay, um, because it's the twenty first century and we get updates to cars now. Uh, so it's a software update. Okay, yes, please. And I click the button, and then uh, several minutes later, my car reboots. And uh, now I have the option of adding a passcode to my car. Hmm. So Interesting. I can get into my car with the, the key fob, just like any other car. And then mm-hmm. when I hit the brake, it prompts me for a pin ah, before, okay. it turn, before it turns on or I do anything else. Um, yeah. And I was like, huh. This is two-factor authentication for my car. Yeah. So now it's in – usually it's what you know, and then you add the second factor for what you have, where with the car key, it's what you have, and now it's you're adding something you know. Yes, just so. Um, yeah. so. So I thought that was pretty cool. I believe they didn't do this out of the goodness of their hearts. I believe that they're doing this because there is a replay attack with the key fobs <laughs> that they yes. are trying to defend yeah. against. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it was some mall that somebody just drove a Tesla out of it. Um, yeah, because uh, uh, doing that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, the attack is not quite well. Actually, so there are two attacks I read about. One, which is you can use a you know whatever a Raspberry Pi and an antenna, where because of the passive entry system, you can take the you can like listen to the challenge from the car and then feed the challenge to a key fob. And get it, and then get the response, and then replay the response back to the car. Um, mm-hmm. And you can do this as long as you can get within whatever ten feet of your of your target's key fob, right? Mm. Um, so I guess that's uh, that's too bad. Uh, presumably they'll fix that later. Uh, in the meantime, they gave me my second factor, so that's I thought that was pretty clever. I like it uh, because Soren likes to play around in the car. Uh, yeah. you know, he likes to drive it and he likes to draw pictures on the little paintbrush app that's on the console. Um, uh-huh. and I'm, a, I live in fear of him hitting the, uh, the brake pedal and uh, actually starting the car. So this is a nice way of preventing that. Um, right. yeah. Uh, Oh, the other attack, uh, available to the car is, is actually pretty pedestrian. Uh, somebody got the VIN number off the car, called, uh, uh, t- customer service and asked them to add that car to told them i'm having trouble adding my car to my account and they said oh, mm. oh i can help you right away and as soon as the wow. car was added to the account now you have control over you can open the windows you can open the trunk you can start it you can change the ac all that all that stuff um wow. so the guy just unlocked it uh did a did a ignition from the from the phone and off he went wow yeah wow huh yeah, so that's too bad. And how, well, how do you, like, what happens if you, like, go to valet park it or have somebody else drive your car or something like that? How can you, like, remotely app wise disable that? There is actually, there is a special valet mode 
Okay. Um, which yeah, I, I I have not. I don't use valets very much, so I haven't tried it. But I presume that valet mode would would disable the pin for a certain period of time or whatever. I don't know. Right. Um, but yeah, the the world is complicated. The world is complicated. Yeah, it's you know it's it, it's the world we're living in when you got to have uh, two factor authentication to drive a car. <laughs> that's right. That's right. My fridge is next. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um. So, but that's not why we're here today, is it? Well, you were you you wrote a manifesto, didn't you? I yeah for uh for work related reasons, not recreational reasons. I I spent this last weekend uh, writing a twenty page narrative trying to explain a very deep and complex problem, um, mm-hmm. like uh, 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 without getting into the details of it. It was a massively complicated problem. Uh, that is poorly understood. And so I wasn't even trying to write a persuasive document, which is kind of usually, you know, usually when you're in a company, you're trying to write a persuasive document, trying to get somebody to take a course of action or what have you. This was just trying to explain what is going on. And it took 20 pages, Um, which you could say in one sense is a good indication that I don't understand it well enough. And you'd be right. Um, mm-hmm. the 20 pages was really an instrument that I had to use in order to ensure that I actually understood it. Um, and, right. now, and now I get to go reward myself by boiling it down to like six pages that I think someone's going to care about. Um, right. or more to the point, six, several six page documents for different audiences about different kind of facets of the, uh, of this beautiful diamond of a, of a, of a, of a conundrum. But, um, Anyway, it was very appropriate for the topic of the show, which was uh, which we wanted to do. We talked about it in the last episode, which was uh, uh, do, uh, deep thinking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this yep. this concept of deep work. Um, yes. So this is this is going to be largely animated by a book we both read mm-hmm. um, uh, on the topic, uh, in which the the author is arguing for the value of deep work, um, which is uh, kind of. Well, how would you describe it, Dave? Yeah, it's uh, to me, deep work is where you have to get into. It takes a long time for you to get into a state of flow in order to get something substantial done, mm-hmm. compared to, uh, you know, shallow work, which would be something you could probably do like while you're washing dishes, or or it doesn't require a, a lot of, of deep thinking. And then the context switching costs for deep work are are much greater than right. shallow work. Yes. Yes, that's right. So, uh, programming is a good example of deep work, right? Yeah. Um, we got to get into that. You have to get your mind into the state, into that, into that zone so that you can, uh, kind of grasp all your complex data structures and your logic flows and, 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 and do the work. Uh, writing a book is, is a good, another good example of, uh, of deep work. Um, Mm -hmm. and he, and the author in the, in this book, uh, which is not surprisingly titled deep work, uh, he, he makes the argument that this is actually an economic imperative that we that we learn more about deep work. So his argument mm-hmm. is that uh, shallow work is highly automatable, or mm-hmm. or you can do it, or actually you can do it by uh, much lower. It's actually much lower skilled work. Um, yes, and I think we we should actually talk about. I think he he's conflating a few different things there. I'm not sure I completely agree, but. Um, but anyway, his point was that uh, the more deep work you can do, the more valuable you are. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, uh, uh, and, and he's advocating for we need more people. We need more like Malcolm Gladwell's in the world, um, mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to uh, 
I, I don't know. Uh, postal inbox clothes. zero devotees. Inbox zero devotees. There we go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right, right. right. Um, but anyway, on the, as he takes us on this journey, he's kind of advocating for this position. I was kind of not super persuaded. We can talk more about that. But he he comes up with several very good uh, kind of tips and exercises that you can apply to kind of encourage deep work in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I don't know. Okay, so I kind of laid the table there. Uh, where do you, where, where would you like to start? Yeah. So, um, boy, there's there are so many directions that we can go. But you know, one of the things that you brought out, which which I thought was interesting in the book, was that uh, you know, like like you were saying, it's it's adding value that only you can do uh, compared to um, shallow work, which is what he says is something a college graduate can quickly do on your behalf. So what, what do you think about that? Um, so he uses the example of like calling email, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be true if you are like him, a professor in a college. Um, but I know, I don't think I'm being vain when I say that like my ability to discriminate between what is important and what is not important in my inbox is not something that could be easily outsourced. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the same is true for you, but like, um, you know, my inbox every day is like a, it's like a, a buffet of issues and I could choose to intervene on one or all of them. Right. Yes. And the, it's not the actual culling of the email or going through and getting to inbox zero, which is the important part. It's me exerting my, uh, it's me exerting my agency on these problems mm-hmm. and deciding I do care about this one. I'm going to intervene. I do not care about this one. I'm going to delegate it like that. Uh, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's like time, you know, what, like you have finite hours in a day and your time and attention, and which ones do you, are you uniquely able to handle compared to, like how often, um, like, I and I force myself to get out of this habit of an email comes in and I know the answer to it, mm-hmm. um, and by being the first one to answer it, I'm usually rewarded with the next time somebody has that same you know, <laughs> a, a question and it's like, you're yeah. the person that knows all this. So yeah. a lot of times if, if I just step back, a lot of times these things will solve themselves too. So it may be something that it's like, yeah, I could absolutely help out with this, but there's also plenty of other people that could help as well. Um, and, and learning to do that, it's important. I'm reminded of that Craig Ferguson quote that I, I know I've talked about before, um, where you, before you respond, you want to ask yourself, uh, does this need to be said? does this need to be said by me and does this need to be said by me right now? Um, right. And you need to quickly ask yourself those three questions before you respond to an email. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, yeah, that's the other part too of uh, responding on weekends and stuff like that, that, you know, setting norms of like you could say it, uh, but maybe say it on Monday. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But as a, his, I think, I think his larger point though is intact, which is, uh, there is a kind of a work which we don't encourage, and in fact, we actively discourage, which is actually the highest value kind of work. Um, right. And that was definitely, I mean, the fact that I wrote those 20 pages, the fact that I had to write those on a weekend is very telling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, because you would be interrupted. Um, and And is that, in your case, you're already overly scheduled? Or is it because of... Uh, discipline in order to like unplug yourself to like 
hide and monastically get something like that done yeah i think the the yeah i think it's I, well i think one is a function of the other um yeah. uh it was much easier for me to move things around on my weekend than it was for me to move things around during the during the work week right yes um, and uh in the book he actually touches on calendar management as a big kind of prerequisite to this um mm -hmm. and he kind of it was almost adorable uh, how how naive he was about how calendars work. Um, he was like, he was like, well, you should really just, you know, do. I mean, he had a couple of different scenarios. He was like, well, you could do your work on Monday, uh, or you could answer all your emails on Monday, and then just devote, you know, Tuesday through Thursday for for deep thinking. I was like, that's that's amazing. Yes. Like that's nice nice work if you can get it, but that's not exactly. happening. <laughs> yeah, right, right. As long as you get the other people, you know, in the company and outside the company to agree with that, yeah, you're set. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise it's a great way to get fired. Um yeah. and uh and so uh, and then he's, the other strategy he advocated was, you know, starting with short stretches because he he's he believes that this state is something that you can train yourself to get into more quickly. Um, mm -hmm. which I think is probably true. And so, mm -hmm. you know, start with an hour or 90 minutes a day, um, to put you, put yourself into this, uh, into this mentally elastic state and then, uh, and then try that, you know, for several, I think he's, doesn't he recommend like three weeks or something? He says, you know, if you do this for three weeks or if you do this for a certain period of time, you will, uh, like meditation, you will have trained yourself to do mm -hmm. it and it'll be easier to get to. Um, maybe, uh, yeah. but I, uh, I, I know I struggle to find time to do this stuff and I'm, I've, uh, do you have this thing too, is where I realized that I am about 200% more effective, let's say, cause I've measured this carefully. Uh, I'm about 200% more effective in the morning than I am in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I think it, I think it, this is, I've done experiments as well. It's like, it seems like everybody has a different sweet spot of when they're the, the freshest, but also, um, it could also be like a time zone thing or um, for mm -hmm. some people uh, where if you can, you know, it may be quieter in the morning or a lot of times it's like how, how many times do people reflexively so like roll out of bed, look at your email right away. And that dictates what you're doing for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And and uh, like a lot of times you're better off putting the email away and don't look at email until maybe lunchtime. Um, and, and maybe that's, again, a naive thing, but. Uh, things like priority inbox uh, helps with that, yep. uh, but um, but trying to minimize that to those distractions that could really derail your day from getting the things that you think are important to be overruled by uh, other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I also thought it was interesting, Dave, that in the book he spent a lot of time talking about how to get into the state, like how to mm -hmm. how to how to get there, right? Scheduling, mental tricks, exercise, what have you. Um, yep. And he didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about what you do when you get in that state. Yes. Which I think is also interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and so like my experience of it was, so yes, it needs to be like at a particular time of the day. It's very, it's really best if I don't look at email at all before I need to get in the state. Um, and certainly like my phone is somewhere else. Uh, right. And, you know, and the whatever whatever I'm working on is full screen and I turn off notifications and all that. Okay, fine. So I'm not, I'm not being distracted. Um, I can now focus on this thing. And, uh, I find often the problem is I don't know what I'm doing, uh, which is to say, uh, okay, I know I have to devote time to this complicated task, whatever it might be. And it's not always obvious what the substance of the work is. 
right? Like, hmm. are you building a slide deck? Are you mm-hmm. writing? Uh, are you writing something down on a piece of paper? Are you trying to come up with a list of you know brand names? Are you you know what, what whatever the it's it was it's helpful for me to have a sense of what my output needs to be. Um, so I don't just sit there staring at a wall being like, I'm, I'm thinking deeply right now. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking very deeply, right? I need a, yes. I need a, I need a tool in front of me. I need a, I need a rubric that can, um, kind of focus my attention. Um, and frankly, I found the best, I don't, I don't know if you're like this. I know some people are very visual. Um, and so mm-hmm. they need to be like sketching or mm-hmm. doodling, uh, to make it work, which, uh, is very messy for me and I don't like wasting that much paper. So I enjoy, um, I don't know if I'm curious what your answer is for here, but like for me, it's, um, I find writing a persuasive essay about something is a mm-hmm. very good way of getting me to think deeply about the topic. Um, hmm. cause when you put it into words, it has to be concrete. All the words have to mean something and it's very difficult to wave your hands, uh, when you're writing things out in English. Um, hmm. Uh, at least if you're honest with yourself. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I I find also that I can get into this state in doing slide work, um, Mm -hmm. which is a kind of a, that's kind of the poetry version of the, of the things out in prose, right? The Um, the performance art. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and for some reason I can find this like, I can, like my eyes can roll back in my head and I can, for two hours, I can focus on a set of slides, um, that, that try to tell a story. Um, but uh, I don't know. What about you? What are what are some what what are some of the activities that you do when you're in this like deep work frame? Yeah. No. And, and so I agree that um, the slides are like it's. You could also think of it as a way of doing outlining as well. Where and like or I would do mind maps and uh, you know and so mind maps are good. Just like outlining, it's just a different visual format of of. Uh, you know, having a bigger subject and then just breaking it down and breaking it down and breaking it down until you get down to like the atomic level mm-hmm. and then figure out it's like, did I go too far? Didn't, did I go, not go far enough? Um, sometimes with the slides though, I feel um, constrained by a single slide. And so sometimes like just doing like bullets and uh, like in, in a word processor. Uh, so I could go as, as long as I want and not have to just visually cram everything onto a single slide is, is helpful. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, but are you, so mind maps, I've, I found, I find it very difficult to work on mind maps. Like I will start on a mind map and then, uh, I'm, I immediately turn into, uh, my mother, which is to say, like I turn into a librarian and I start like creating a taxonomy and rearranging and, um, now I'm now I'm like bike shedding the mind map, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you have? Are you? Are you? It sounds like you're not afflicted in the same way. No, not not as bad. Um, no, not not at all. And and again, it's like outlining or or getting you know. And and I think too, it's like going back to what you were originally saying. It's like having an idea of what you're supposed to do before you get into the deep thought mm-hmm. zone mm-hmm. is important. Instead of like. Um, and that's, what's fun too, is like there, there are parts of the book and it's like, you almost need to like schedule an offsite with yourself, uh, where <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's like riding my motorcycle is great because there's no way I could be you know, interrupted by, uh, my, uh, phone or, you know, emails or anything like that. And mm-hmm. it, it allows me to, uh, take a problem and just like, you know, beat it up and, and ring it out while I'm riding. And, and it's 
just like me and my helmet, um, just like <laughs> noodling this through. Yeah, yeah. So the, that's interesting. So you find, um, I find that kind of activity restful. Like for me, it's sometimes it's yard work or like walking the dog, right? Where I can just like right. empty my mind. But I find that that's more like meditative work than it is deep work, which is, and I think that they're different. At least they feel yes. different to me, right? Like one is a calming, clearing, kind of resetting mm-hmm. activity. And the other is uh, like roll up your sleeves and like, uh, and like load up the Ram, right? Yeah. So I would say, well, it's a couple things. One is like for me, like r- riding my motorcycle is, it, it, you know, it is like that mental defragmentation, right? Where it's therapeutic and it, it gets the cobwebs out and stuff like that. And it forces you to like focus. And, but the other side of it though, is that there are other times when it's like, I would come up with my best ideas while I'm riding. And it's like, I, I got to like jump off the motorcycle and start writing stuff down right. um, because, you know, before I like sneeze and then I forget about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I only get that in the, this is going to sound wrong, but I mean it in the most chaste way possible. Like I only get that in the shower, like those like flashes of insight. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something to do with like, you know, it's relaxing. There's not a lot of stimulus. You know, there's only so many times you can read the shampoo bottle um, and right. you're like, your mind has to like kind of fold in on itself. And then I find that that's a, um, I can often, if I'm stuck on something, I can go like, I can, I'll go take a shower and then it, that, um, like a, something will, uh, something will inspire me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, but it's, it, I, it's interesting. I find it difficult to talk about, it's difficult to talk about what you do when you're in this state, I think. Um, because mm-hmm. I think it is kind of very idiosyncratic, uh, you know, uh, for each person. Um, and so most of, even most of the book was around like, how do you manage your life in such a way that you can get into this state? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, cause I feel, I feel also like that, that might be the harder problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, you know, a lot of it is like controlling interruptions and, and building the environment that you work in to be conducive to deep work. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where there's one part of, uh, uh, that I, I found fascinating is, uh, the concept of the, uh, eudaimonia machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We should talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So eudaimonia, which is hard to pronounce, uh, is Greek for human flourishing or prosperity. And so he thought this up, I guess it's in the book, but there are these five different places inside if he was to build, you know, it's not a real machine, but you could think of it as like an office space layout for uh, being conducive with deep work where, um, you know, the first part of like you walk into the building and there's a place called the gallery. And uh, the way he describes it is it, it slaps you in the face with the fact that you need to step up your game if you want to keep up with the others in the building. And it's because in the gallery, it shows all kinds of sample work that other people have done. So it sort of raises the bar and raises the average and it, it shows, you know, what people are working on. Then you move into the next room uh, or area, which is called the salon. And it's uh, a bar uh, with high quality coffee or possibly some alcohol uh, sofas line the walls. There's Wi-Fi. It's basically a coffee shop meant to be, you know, for you to do some uh, laptop work. And um, you could sit around and and talk with your colleagues and stuff like that. And it's okay to, you know, uh, you know, communicate with others and everything. Then the next one is the library, 
which is uh, the record of all the work that's produced by this particular machine or this this uh, knowledge working space where there's all kind of reference material and printers and scanners and things. Then you have the office, which is you know further into this uh, eudaimonia machine where you have low intensity uh, activity. So think about where you it's where you do some of your like shallow work and maybe do some uh, meetings and group collaboration uh, in a more formal setting, uh, different from like that coffee shop atmosphere. And then the the last, the fifth uh, area of this machine is the uh, the chambers is what he calls it, and that's where the deep work really happens. And it's uh, e you know each worker gets a single chamber, and it's all soundproofed and it's fully stocked with all the supplies that you need. And the whole purpose of the chamber is to uh, remove distraction so you could have total focus and un uninterrupted workflow. So w what's your take on that whole thing? Do you, do you have one in your house or? Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have, all, I have all of these things in my house. Unfortunately, they are all the same room. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so the, exactly. uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 think he, I think he meant it more as metaphor than um, – than an actual yeah, thing. And as a, as so a meta, you go to a WeWork and right, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but uh, you know, as a metaphor, I think it does work because it does describe. I definitely recognized each of those states. Right, um, mm -hmm. there was the like get inspired. Um, there was the uh, work off of other people, like collaborate with other people. Um, there was the okay, just uh, focus, but not too much focus, like just enough focus to get through your inbox. Um, and then there was the you know uh, climb into the uh, you know, descend into the mine and, uh, yeah. And, and sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, it's, uh, yeah. So I, it, 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 and it's helpful, I think, not just to name those things, but once he named them, I found myself being like, Oh, my head is in a salon right now, or my head is in the coffee shop right now. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't like that actually changed my behavior, but I guess I, I found it either comforting or useful to just notice that that's where I was. And yeah, mindfulness. Yeah, just just being mindful of it, and and if I'm in the coffee shop, I should not be surprised that I cannot do the the deep work, right? Um, right. Or if I'm in the gallery, like uh, it turns out, I'm not really paying attention to my email as much as I should, right? Like that's that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and that, but even in the physical sense, it's like if you think about like office designs, where um, you know it was in vogue in Silicon Valley years ago, just a couple years ago about, Oh, open offense plans. That's going to increase collaboration. And, uh, that's a way to do it. And there were, um, there's a study that I saw that was, uh, it was two fortune 500 multinational companies saw face to face interaction drop by 70% and email <laughs> increased by 22%. Yep. Uh, yeah. And 56% and productivity slip as they went to open office plans. Totally, totally. Because humans, they're messy, they smell, and they frequently disagree with you. So yeah, no, open plans are <laughs> not... Yeah. Like... like you're trying to do like deep work and somebody's eating potato chips or, you know, it's just like, ah, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. if it was me, I'd be in like one of those sensory deprivation chambers all day long and just come out for lunch, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, and actually to that point, uh, you know, I got... To that point... It's not a surprise that I can't really get any work done on an airplane because an airplane is mm -hmm. basically an open plan office. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, at least, well, yeah, it depends whether people are talking to you or like I'll intentionally put earbuds in whether or not I have anything on uh, mm -hmm. just as a, a signal to that I'm working. But and also, too, it's it's the it's like I'll use the email or I'll, I will use the airplane time when I am on Wi-Fi to like hose out email or do like shallow work. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to be writing a manifesto at 30,000 feet. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Uh, by the way, that's your book title. Yes. A, yeah. Manifesto at 30,000 feet. Um, <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> um, so yeah, I got, and the, the other thought I had too was, and he kind of talks a little bit about this in the book is that, um, he's on the, he's working on the assumption that, uh, and it's a kind of an elitist, like a not very, not very attractive opinion that, uh, the only people who are going to be employed in whatever 30 years are people who are capable of doing deep work. I think he's kind of overplaying his hand there. Um, mm -hmm. but academics, they'll, yes. they'll, they'll be the only people working. Exactly. Right. Right. The, the ivory tower is the only source of employment in, uh, in robot world. Uh, I think was, was kind of the upshot of his argument, but, um, uh, it made me wonder though, that is, he, he kind of has this, uh, is this dialectic between, uh, shallow work and deep work and kind of everything falls into one bucket or another, but, it occurs to me that, and the eudonomic rooms suggest this too, is that it's actually not a black and white thing. It's actually, it's a, it's a series of states or it's a, there's a, there's a gradient there, um, mm -hmm. that you're, you could fall on a particular part of the spectrum doing any particular mm -hmm. piece of work. Um, and I don't know, but, I, uh, but the way that we talk about it, so I believe that it is true that it's not like they are like quantum states that you find yourself in, but that's certainly how they feel, right? They mm -hmm. feel like quantum states. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? <laughs> yeah. The moment you measure it, it disappears. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. you're alive and dead at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've worked at those companies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, it, I, yeah, I, I agree with you that there is this continuum of states uh, that you would be in. And I, yeah, I don't know. Well, what do you think? Well, I, I, it, it seems, it seems natural to believe that like, I can just be at different levels of, con like, we're just talking about being at different levels of concentration. Right. Right. Um, and I can be at, and yes, I can be at, 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 I can move between different levels of concentration during the day. Um, it also makes me wonder though, that is, does everybody actually require as much deep thinking as the, as he's advocating for? Right. I mean, I think he was very prescriptive about it. I mean, I think he said, you know, you must go into a deep state three hours a day or, you know, or you're mm -hmm. going to be replaced by a robot in 20 years. Like that was his, you know, that was his story. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know that that's actually the case. Um, yeah. and also that deep work means, or that, other people describe this as a flow state, right? Like I think the mm -hmm. flow state exists differently for different people. He's coming at it certainly from an academic point of view, um, mm -hmm. you know, where he's imagining everybody's writing a book. Um, right. But I think like, I, I feel like that state is achievable, uh, mowing a large lawn. Right. Um, mm -hmm. or, uh, like I feel like you can enter that state through physical work as well. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I agree. It's like, you're like, you, own the lawn business, but you're, you know, mowing the lawn and you're thinking up business plans and, and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's, it is a meditative way to like get things done. But, 
but still, I would say like after work and, you know, it's like when when you're going to write that business plan or get that idea down, you may need to have some quiet time to knock it out and oh, yeah. you know, not be distracted by, you know, family interruptions or other things like that. And it may be better to just hole up and, and knock it out than to, um, uh, you know, be interrupted and have to get back into the zone. It just takes forever and you may spend more time away from your family. Um just going back between back and forth between zones and just hiding out and knocking things out. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, and I also imagined how to apply this if I am a craftsman or an artist, right. Um, mm-hmm. which you absolutely need a, I presume you absolutely need a flow state to, to, to get your work done. Um, uh, because the, because this is also creative work. It wouldn't surprise me at all to learn that, um, artists and people who do explicitly creative work, uh, on a regular basis, probably find this process easier than folks yeah. who are like working in an office, right? Yes. Well, and, and yeah, and how much collaboration is needed with artists compared to like knowledge workers? Yeah, great point. Great point. Yeah. yeah. Um, unless you're in the theater, like you're probably right. yeah, you don't require a whole a whole lot of collaboration or cooperation from others. True. True. Yeah. 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 So, and then the other thing that I thought was fascinating was there is that, that book, uh, that he mentioned, uh, how to live on 24 hours a day by Arnold Bennett. Yeah. Have you read that? No, I haven't. Did, did you? No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I want to just to like check it out. So, um, so basically this book was, you know, it's like you, you like, I'll describe this. And to me, this sounds like, like a, uh, Tim Ferriss four hour work week book. Like so, this is this book was written in 1910, and it was uh, addressing the large and growing number of white collar workers that are just showing up on the scene as a result of the industrial revolution. So, you know, he was looking at workers that would put in eight hours a day, 40 hours a week at jobs they they probably didn't enjoy it, or at worst they hated, and so they worked. Uh, to make a living, but their existence consisted basically of waking up, going to work, and then coming home, um, unwinding, going to sleep, and repeating. So they, they, so he didn't really believe they were living, and so um, it was interesting. It was, it was it was pretty neat. He called these folks uh, salarymen, uh, which was pretty wild, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very uh, old fashioned. Um, so to seize on their extra time to make the most to improve themselves. So um, you know, and like you said, uh, you know. The extra time could be found at the beginning of the day by waking up early and uh, on the ride to work and on the way home from work and in the evening hours uh, on the weekends and things like that. Um, and doing things like, you know, reading uh, great literature, uh, taking an interest in the arts, reflecting on life and learning self-discipline. And um, it was, you know, again, to me, this sounds like you could republish this book right now and, it, you know, it would be like a bestseller. Um, he didn't mention Netflix at all, which was interesting, but, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, so as you're saying this, it's reminding me of, a uh, of an article I read about this book called the shape of automation, um, hmm. which was written by uh, Herbert Simon in 1966. Um, and, uh, anyway, there was a, there was a discussion going on in around 1966, uh, where economists were arguing about, well, what's going to happen when basically everything gets automated, right? Um, you're going to have people like what will happen to people's incomes? Uh, what will mm-hmm. happen? It's very, very similar to the, 
uh, to the argument that we've that we've got here. Um, so if you'll bear with me while I read some of the uh, some of the argument here, he says. Um, um, this economist, who our friend disagrees with, he says he has no doubt that these families will have plenty uh, of use for their entire income. Uh, but why stop there? On his assumption of a 3% annual growth rate, the average family incomes will be $56,000 by the year 2025 and nice. $112,000 by 2045 and a quarter million dollars a century from today. Is it beyond human nature to think that at this point or a great deal sooner, a ceiling will have been imposed on demand? Um, if not by edict, them tacitly. And to my mind, it is hard not to picture such a ceiling unless the economy is to become a collective vomitorium. <laughs> so the, idea, the idea here is that just like, as we become more and more productive, um, we're going to have all this leisure time and we're just going to, it becomes this endless cycle and what he calls the, you know, this collective vomitorium. Um, and uh, our friend, the shape of uh, who wrote the shape of automation, he responded dryly uh, that he had great respect for the ability of human beings. Give it a little advance warning to think up reasonable ways of spending that kind of money and to do so without vomiting. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> anyway, it, it's folding it back into uh, folding it back into this conversation. I think that um, there is. I think the idea of deep work actually being an enriching experience and not just, you know, some kind of like productivity, uh, uh some kind of mandate of productivity, um, is also useful, right? That's one of the reasons right. why I was asking about, you know, craftsmanship and artists and things like that. Right. And I, I think too, that it's also that the deep work can yield better results than the accomplishment of processing all your email and getting in box zero. Well, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it's necessarily creative, right? It's a, right. Explicitly creative. Right. Yeah. And the, the other thing that – do you have problems getting bored? Uh, no, I'm not. I, uh, I'm, I'm interested in too much stuff. Um, my problem is not getting bored. My problem is uh, focusing my attention on, uh, on low-value crap. That's my, mm. <laughs> that's my problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What yeah, I you? don't have a I don't have a short of, shortage of uh, of uh, things that take my attention. I wish I was bored more often because uh, I think that could stimulate new ideas. But there's always something going on that you know I'm checking out or uh, some piece of content I'm consuming. Just having that quiet time and you know whether it's mindfulness or just you know going for a walk without listening to a podcast or headphones or whatever. And, you know, it's like, that's a way that things can come into your head. Um, uh, you know, that from a creative standpoint would be very good. And, and then again, that's for me, that's motorcycle riding too, where mm. I don't get bored. Um, but it, it just provides quiet time with my mind. Yeah. I think the, I don't know. It's funny about boredom. Like I like to tell myself that it's about my, my incessant curiosity, right. Is why I'm doing all this stuff. But, uh, I think if I'm honest, it's also inspired a little bit by, uh, by anxiety, right. Of like, yes, like I'm going to miss something out or like, I'm not going to ever, you know, I, I need to read that article and I need to stay up on all these things. And, um, that kind of, it's interesting that that tension is also, contraindicated for deep work, right? Cause you don't get to get into yes. a deep work state under when you're in a state of anxiety. Well, right. And also if you compare say like 30, 40 years ago to today, um, you know, 
the news only showed up once a day in the newspaper and were, you know, six o'clock and 11 o'clock and, you know, in the morning and things like Mm -hmm. that. And so in the time in between, at least for me growing up, there were plenty of opportunities to be bored and explore things and stuff like that, where now there's a 24 hour news cycle or articles and stuff coming out to to check out that, that are like coming after your attention. And, you know, like I'm just getting overwhelmed by Netflix, right? There's like (laughs) so much content and it's like, I, you know, I used to feel like it's like, yeah, I'm going to watch all Netflix. And and it's like, (laughs) you you can't, you know, you'll like die. And, and there's like so much crap there too. It's, it makes it really harder to like, I, I like, like I'll sit there with Netflix and I'll spend like a half hour trying to find something to watch because I don't want to waste my time, but I just wasted a half hour trying to find something to watch. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, so I, I don't remember who it was. I think it was the Netflix CTO who said, uh, like, who's your, somebody asked him, like, who's your primary competitor? <laughs> and his answer was sleep. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's, I get, it's the same, or it's the same, uh, it's the same urge and bundle of anxieties I get. Um, uh, back when, uh, back when Google knew or Google reader was a thing. And like, I had to read all the feeds. Right. Right. Like, Oh like, yeah. That's me and Feedly. Still yeah. Today. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's like thousand articles a day and yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't read them all, but it's like, I, I scanned the room. Yeah. We do. So we should, we should just collectively give ourselves a buy on the, um, uh, the, the inboxes we didn't ask for, like in right. like Netflix and Feedly or, uh, RSS feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we don't need to, you'll, you'll never get to the bottom. You'll, you'll never finish the internet. Yes, exactly. And the other the other thing too that I found interesting too that he brought up in the book was that you should he said that you should ask your manager how much time you should spend on shallow work versus deep work mm-hmm. uh as a way to give you the authority to do deep work and not to do shallow work. And you know cuz like you know how it is like if you're in the field it's like oh you got to if what do you mean you're not on sales calls and you know so right. you mustn't be working then, right? And yeah. To me, like, are the sales sales calls are, I would argue, that shallow work, right? Compared mm-hmm. to like the prep that goes into like putting a demo together or uh, coming up with, you know, slide content and things like that. Yeah. Account planning, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what did you think about that? As as far as asking your manager, like, when especially when there's a level of expectation of like you know, activity is measured. And, and to me, when activity is measured like that in terms of like, how many calls did you make today and things like that? And, yeah. and I, I guess it depends on what your job is too, where if, if your job is to smile and dial all day long and, you know, that's, that's what you're measured on. But yeah. um, it's not true for like some of the technical folks in the field um, that, you know, need to have that quiet time to like do like a cool demo or things like that. Yeah, I did not like the idea that a manager should be dictating to the employee how much deep work and how much shallow work that they need to do. And I think the reason is that the reason as manager, one of the reasons I'm paying someone a salary is for them to know the answer to that question. Um, Right. If you're getting as prescriptive as like, listen, you ought to be doing three hours of deep work every week or like you're not going to be delivering for me. Like, no, that's not that's a level of micromanagement that I, I that I can only strive for. Um, (laughs) I mean, what, what I want is the output and if it's a million monkeys and a million typewriters, or if it's, you know, four hours of deep work a week, that's, that, that is the employee's affair and definitely something the employee should be managing. Um, if the employee has a problem, 
if, if the employee believes that they need to be doing deep work and cannot, you know, does not have the environment for that, they should definitely raise their hand and ask for help. Right. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. that was the intent of, yeah, of right. that part of the book to yeah. going up of like, Hey, I've, it's a polite way to, uh, uh, address being micromanaged. Yes. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. So let's, let's wrap up on this, this one thing about, um, you know, you, we mentioned he's, he's an academic, mm -hmm. um, and he, you know, one of the things that he recommends is managing email like an academic, uh, meaning that there's no need for you to reply unless you want to. And the onus is on the sender to write an email that's so compelling that you want to reply, which yep. is very different than, you know, like you get a letter in the mail and you got to respond to it. And it's like, what do you mean you didn't read my precious letter and right. you didn't reply to it? Um, so what's what's your take on that of like uh, managing email like an academic? Uh I think that that is a great way to alienate your colleagues. Um, I it it all it, we've talked about you know we did a whole episode on kind of email norms, but um, I think the I I understand the intent of what he's saying, um, mm. and certainly there is I would say that what he is saying is true. Therefore, a certain class of sender, certainly if you do not work for my company, I, I think you can put that rule in place, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like I have some very unsavory characters who are now putting crap on my calendar without me asking um, mm. and forcing me to decline. Uh, and then they reply, oh, I'm sorry that didn't work out. Let, let me find, let me try and find another time on your schedule. Like, no, thank you. That's obnoxious. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's bad. Um, so it's for internal people or external? External. Yeah. External. Like companies, wow. who, companies who ostensibly want to do business with, with, uh, with us are sending me unsolicited calendar invites, which of course show up on the calendar, right? I, I need a filter for this anyway. Wow. Um, yeah. But point being like, that's bold. It yeah. is bold. Yeah. And it's kind of like way to swing for the fences. Like I understand, <laughs> like I know you're trying to get the meeting, man, but like, it's not going to happen this way anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, anyway, point being for, for people who, for whom there is no existing relationship, yeah, the, his rule is actually a pretty good one. Like you need to convince the other person that that you need to convince the the, the recipient to respond. Like that's mm -hmm. it's a the email has to be persuasive. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, like there are many other kinds of senders of email, right? Um, there are colleagues, there are um, people who work for you, um, and you know, for I would never force somebody on my staff to like. Uh, uh, sorry, I would have replied to you, uh, Doug, but, uh, your email just wasn't anywhere near interesting enough for me to, to hit reply. <laughs> like, that, like that's, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. also, you know, listen, everybody's got a boss, even, even Bono's got a boss. So, uh, like you're definitely going to be replying to your boss's emails, no matter how yeah. unpersuasive they are. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. I, that still blows my mind though, that you get these external invitations where it's like that would create so much anxiety for me of like, you know, the, I'm like the pleaser that has to, you know, uh, you know, yeah. accept or, or say yes, or, or, you know, it's like, this is just leading the conflict. This is just not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, well, and it's a great way to get yourself blacklisted, which is precisely what happened. Like, like you used to be uh, a spam that just kind of annoyed me. And now you are somebody for whom I will never hear from again, because you are going straight to the bit bucket. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're banished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is it, is it like spammer type people or actual like real partner, like people that are very aggressive? Uh, 
it's it's to the tune of like it, it's basically cold calls for like IT consulting and outsourcing shops and stuff like that. Oh, Just like like yeah. somewhere someone told them that this was a good idea and it's like you know it's like in the it's in the procedure to send a calendar invite and make them decline it. Like wow, I'm not trucking with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's, <laughs> that's, just, that's terrible behavior. Um, anyway, I, okay. So, so to sum this up, this is, I, I this is, this is fun to talk to, with you about this. I think we both read this a while back and it, so it's, it's mm-hmm. fun to have percolated on it for a while and then, and then revisit it with you. Um, I think my experience this weekend was, uh, I was able to get, I probably spent, let's say seven hours achieving probably three hours of flow, uh, Mm -hmm. which is not great, but like, you know, sandwiches don't make themselves. Dogs have to be walked. Um, you gotta get the music quite, you know, exactly right. Um, and, but in the end I ended up with a, uh, I want to sit here and advocate for the essay, like writing. If you, if you have a complicated topic, sit down and write the essay about it or a blog post Mm -hmm. or however you want to frame it. Um, mm-hmm. cause after I had written a 20 page essay about the topic, I knew much more about the topic than I did when I started. Um, yes. and it was with the same set of information. It was just the forcing me to walk through all of the assumptions and all the f- f- uh, sets of facts and all the arguments. Um, it was really, really valuable. Um, and I now feel equipped enough to create kind of more condensed versions, uh, for my colleagues, which means that the deep work was successful. Like I, digested all the information i processed it and uh now i can furnish other people i work with with uh just the information that they need and uh mm-hmm. and you know that's uh that's what that's what we get paid for so yeah exactly it was great okay so if people want to um uh get to the show notes or or to send you unsolicited calendar invites <laughs> what website do we want to send them to they can go to uh dg show dot org that's d as in dave g as in gunner dot org and dave i'm happy to announce that we are back on ssl yes uh, yes thank, thanks exactly. to the thanks to the good folks at the at uh, fireside who host the podcast um they have uh they finally turned on they worked out the let's encrypt magic and uh so now we are on an ssl certificate which i'm delighted about yes i feel so much better now this yeah, is great me too me yep. too all right okay well thanks dave Yeah, thanks, Gunnar. Thanks, everybody, for listening.